So how are you on this crazy election week thing, huh? How you doing? Yeah. I didn't hear much that made any sense. I'm a little concerned for you. I, uh, I think you made a great decision to be here today, and we're going to try to make some sense together. I'm Jared, and for meeting for the first time, uh, one of the pastors, and just delighted that I get to give the talk today. I was looking for a little distraction yesterday, so, uh, so I went some, with some friends to Eugene to the duck game. <laughs> I was distracted, all right, and, and I was uh, cheering for the beeves. You didn't come through for me, and and uh, it's a little tough for me to go Washington's way, but, you know, the Pac-12 needs some respect, and uh, I may have to go Cougs. I, it may have to be. Go, we may all be wearing crimson and red and gray, and yeah. So, uh, Phil, I just want you to know that I have become an avid fan of uh, Pacific University. I won yesterday. Any George Fox fans here? The, uh, those Maroons? Go Fox. All right, yeah. Uh, was I? Oh, I'm giving a talk at church today. That's right. Let's see. I've got some notes here. And uh, there, there we go. Yeah. Hey, we are a beautifully diverse congregation, especially when it comes to uh, opinions and perspectives. Have you noticed that? And uh, in the last few days, uh, those have been tested a little bit. Uh, I would imagine in our diversity that some of you just feel flat out relieved this morning, glad that the election is over. Thank God. And would you just leave me alone now and let me live my life? Yeah. Yeah, some of you are really happy today. Uh, your roster of candidates and issues won, and uh, you know that God is good today, and you are you're very happy about that. And some of you may have come uh, half discouraged and half mad today, and I'm being generous there because uh, your ballot didn't match up very well to the results. We are, we are very diverse in what we've experienced. So on Tuesday, I watched the news way too much and way too long. And when I wanted to go to bed, I went to bed and couldn't sleep. So then I got up and decided I had two choices. I can either act like a Christian and practice what I tell you to do and pray, thank, think, do, or I could watch some more news and just stew for a little bit while longer. And uh, I probably would have told you the outcome either way, but uh, the better side of me actually won. But I launched into Wednesday uh, kind of uh, you know, an under-rusted under person and discovered, like many of you, that I had a lot of interesting conversations going on. And man, the range of opinions and verbiage was just amazing. By Wednesday evening, I needed to be here with you getting grounded in Christ. And not all of you had the opportunity of coming Wednesday, but for an hour from 7 to 8, we had a powerful time of worship and prayer. And the kids simultaneously had an experience of worship and prayer. And at the end of that service, I asked people to just share a word that came to mind about what their experience was at that point. And it was beautiful. The words were confidence and hope and peace and comfort and love and grace. <clears throat> and my guess, my hunch, is that many of us did not have that set of words describing our experience when we came in. Worship and prayer, being grounded in Christ, makes a tremendous experience. So it's my privilege to continue our series in talking about worship. We're talking about, <clears throat> we've called it the Awaken the Wonder. And today our big idea is, worship always costs something. It's worth it. What are you investing? In our diversity, we fight 
for the unity of the Spirit. We find our unity in Jesus, and we experience that unity when we worship him and experience what we just sang, God is with us. Today, I'd like to tell you four stories that happened over 5,000 years in one place. First story. The place was a mountain rising above the Jordan River. It was, it was a lonely and vacant place. God spoke to an old man who had a teenage son and told him that he was to make a trip and that he was to go to that very place and that he was to make an ultimate sacrifice, which just seems utterly unbelievable to us. The mountain was called Moriah. It means seen by God. The story from Genesis chapter 22 is familiar to many of you. It tells how God tested Abraham, and it says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. I find that unbelievable. An offering, an, an altar, is a, is a symbol of worship through thousands of years by God's chosen people and others. It was often crafted by humans. Sometimes it was a natural feature like a flat stone. It often had wood was put on it for a fire. It often had animal sacrifices placed on it as well. It was the ultimate dedication. It was taking something of value and it was surrendering it, sacrificing it, slaying it if it was living, <clears throat> dedicating it over to the deity's purposes. I can't imagine the pain that this old father must have experienced, but you know what he did. It says early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey and he took his son Isaac and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for Moriah. And as he was about to slay his son, God intervened and said, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and he saw a racket in a thicket where a ram had been caught by the horns. And Abraham went over and he came back and he slew the ram and he lit the fire and he offered this sacrifice. And it says, I quote, so Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Abraham worshiped. It was worth it. We worship first. He worshiped and saw God's provision. This morning, 2016, what do you need on the mountain of God sees you, worship first. We find in this story that there was a mountain called seen by God. There was an altar, there was wood, there was a sacrifice, and we learn that worship costs and it's worth it. We worship, God provides. Second story. About 2,000 years later, a farmer named uh, 
Arana, owned the summit of Moriah. He had built a wood floor there where in the harvest season, the, the uh, kernels were separated from the head and the stalk. It was called a threshing floor. He also had some farm equipment around. He had oxen that were connected by wooden yokes, and he had threshing sledges made out of wood that were pulled to do the threshing. A plague had devoured thousands of people in Israel, and it was stopped right at this threshing floor. And so King David was instructed to go and to offer a sacrifice there. I'm reading from 2 Samuel chapter 24. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arar, the Jebusite. And so David went up as the Lord had commanded. And when Arana looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, why has the Lord, the king, come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord and that the plague on the people may be stopped. And Arana said to David, let the Lord, the king, take whatever he wishes and offer it up here. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here's the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, I give you all of this to the king. But the king replied, no, I insist on paying for it. Notice the slide. Read it out loud with me, will you? I will not sacrifice to God offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid the 50 shekels of silver for them. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land. Worship costs. I remember the first time that the verse you read out loud with me really popped for me. I was a sophomore in college. Our pastor Roy was speaking and he was talking about this passage and he was saying, most of what God has provided for us is absolutely free. The gift of salvation is free to us. It was a tremendous cost to God in sending his son Jesus to die for us. But the gift of forgiveness of sins and salvation is absolutely free. But in every reciprocal relationship, it's only healthy if it costs reciprocally. So what do we have that we are to give to God back? And we give worship. And worship costs. And he began to talk that evening, that Sunday evening, Wednesday night, I don't know which, about some of the costs for us. It might cost us our time. And as a college sophomore, I knew how worship was costing me. I was there on a Wednesday night and Might have had a test on Thursday or a paper due, but I had made a decision. I was going to gather regularly. For me, that was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I grouped up. I knew that it was a cost of time. I got that. I knew that worship was going to be a cost of of comfort for me. I was reminded of that every Sunday morning when I was one of the teachers in the third grade kids' Sunday school class. Not always the most comfortable hour of my week and sometimes the most terrifying. Worship would cost time. Worship would cost comfort. I already knew that worship was going to cost some of my preferences. When they chose the worship set, the genre of music, the pace at which it was sung, uh, the pitch at which it was pitched, and the volume with which it was volumed, nobody had checked in with me first of all. I knew that 
Worship was sometimes going to cost some of my preference, and those things could not become a deal breaker or maker for me in worship. I understood it would cost time. I understood it would cost comfort. I understood it would cost some of my preferences. But that night, I could not believe the ultimate sacrifice that I felt God called me to give in worship. Are you ready for this? You've heard the rest of the story. You haven't heard the background. My 1967 Barracuda Fastback. Give it away. My son, Isaac. Unbelievable. God, you can mess with my time, my preferences, my conveniences. You cannot. You're going to mess with my car? Really? Mess with my car? You can appreciate why I remember that verse very clearly in time. I will not offer to God sacrifices that cost me nothing. So I wrestled, and you already know what I did. I gave the car away. Every year during hot August nights down at Reno, I have a couple of friends here that send me pictures of 67 Barracuda fastbacks. They want to know if they want me to bring it home. And I gave mine away, and they're worth $45,000 today. And what I really say is, I wish I could have kept the one I had. And, but I, here we go. This is what we have learned from story number two. We worship, and God answers prayer. Story number three about Mount Moriah happens about 30 years later with a new king, Solomon. He builds a spectacular temple for worship. It was the pride of the nation for 405 years of worship before it was destroyed. It was their national Taj Mahal. It was the national gathering place for worship. It was constructed of the finest and most expensive materials. And we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on where? Mount Moriah. It's coming up on a slide where the Lord had appeared to his father, David, where his father had purchased the threshing floor from Arana. Hmm. The silver and gold alone in the temple would be worth $216 billion today. It took 153,000 craftsmen seven years to build it. And during the week of dedication, 144,000 cattle, sheep, and goats were slaughtered in sacrifice. And at the end of the dedication, the presence of God demonstrated visually in a cloud of his glory and experienced physically and emotionally by being a present weight that caused priests to actually fall to the ground under its weightiness, descended upon the temple, we learn that when we worship, God reveals himself. Fourth story on Moriah, 1,000 years later. The Roman soldiers are tensely watching the thousands of religious pilgrims which came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. This temple was smaller than Solomon's. It was a replacement for that temple, but it was the, not only the national, but it was the worldwide center of worship for God's people, the Jews. And this new temple was built on exactly the same site 
on Moriah. The pilgrims would buy lambs to be sacrificed. It was costly, and it was bloody, and it was stinky. But those pilgrims had no idea that Passover that the real worship was happening on a little point, a little rise on Moriah about a mile away. It was called Calvary, where, like the boy Isaac, this man carried his own wood. The beams were hastily fashioned into a cross. The Lamb of God was sacrificed for the sins of the world, forever satisfying the debt of human sin. It was the same mountain seen by God, altar of wood, divine sacrifice, worship costs, and God thinks it's worth it. We worship and we are with God. Four stories on Moriah. One, we worship and God provides. Two, we worship and God answers. Three, we worship, God reveals. Four, we worship, we are with God. We're going to receive communion today in just a few minutes. I'm going to invite you to prepare with me. First, everyone here today is welcome to participate. And second, if you want to participate, please prepare yourself in the way that I'm going to describe. God sent Jesus away from himself separation from his father so you could receive communion. The lamb of God was broken for reconciliation. The blood of the prince of peace was shed for forgiveness. It's a story that's broken and bloody and costly. Reconciliation. The price of our privilege to know and follow and worship God. Worship costs a lot. And God says, it's worth it. But not everybody gets this right. <laughs> You'll be glad as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that you were not a part of that first century congregation in Corinth because boy, did they ever get it wrong, and was Paul ever cranky when he had some things to say to them, because the way they were behaving among themselves disparaged this valuable gift that God had given them, and they acted out that dishonoring of one another as they received communion together. I want to read some of 1 Corinthians 11, because we're going to learn some things from it before we receive today. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Did I mention that Paul was a little cranky? Have you ever been in a church service where you thought the meeting did more harm than good? Yeah, so we've all been there too. But specifically, this is what was happening. In the first place, oh no, he's got several things. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are, 
And now notice four words that in English start with the letter D. There are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Now, no doubt, there have to be some differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter, but he's not done. Four, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. So then, in my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Together. It's the word from which we get our word communion. Now, communion, as we call it, is called the Lord's Supper here. It's called the Lord's Table. It's it's called traditionally among other fellowships, the Eucharist or the Mass. We often call it communion. It comes from this word together. Discerning the body of Christ, the most favorite metaphor of Paul to describe our relationship with one another and with God, with Jesus being the head and the rest of us being, and all of our diversity, different members and parts of the body. But To discern the body of Christ rightly is the remembrance that we are together. And that in togetherness that we then celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. What we learn from this is that communion is expensive. It costs the Father his Son. It costs the Son his life. And communion will cost you something to participate in it rightfully and well. It costs you the thoughtfulness of discerning where you are with God and with others. It, gives, it calls us to give something, the, the discernment of the body of Christ. So what should you discern? Well, well Paul mentioned, mentioned four things. First of all, differences. The passage is clear. Of course there's differences among us. It is, in fact, within the diversity that we find our beauty. It's in our diversity that we find the contributions of others that we need in our contributions that others need for us to make. It's in our diversity, even of different opinions about things that aren't absolutely defined for all of eternity, that we grow and we find maturity. Our differences 
are actually contributors to the beauty of our unity. But, oh, there's the possibility, like at Corinth, for those differences to cause divisions. So, of course, there's differences, but, but differences do not require that we be divided. So I have some pesky questions. Did you vote for Mr. Trump? Well, don't gloat and don't credit God for voting for him too. So did you vote for Secretary Clinton? Well, don't be afraid and don't blame God for the outcome. Differences, of course, but divisions, no way, no way. We pray, we think, we think, we do. We fight and contend for the unity of the faith until we come to the unity of the Spirit. Divisions, no. Differences, of course. Unified, yes. The third word, despise. The, the Corinthian Christians, it said, humiliated those that were different. So, did you vote for Mr. Trump? Well, don't look down on superiority for those who didn't. And did you vote for Secretary Clinton? Well, don't demonize your brothers or sisters who didn't. Differences, of course. Divisions, no way. We are unified in Christ. The fourth, the fourth D is discern. Discern the body of Christ first with regard to ourselves. So I look inward. Did you vote for Mr. Trump? Then, then don't place political preferences above eternal unity in Christ with your brothers and sisters. Did you vote for Secretary Clinton? Then don't let your personal political preferences come in front of your essential eternal unity in Christ with your brothers and sisters. We discern the body of Christ. And in our discernment, we recognize differences. We discern unity and we refuse to allow differences to create divisions among us. So today, we conclude where the Apostle Paul concluded in his words to the church at Corinth. And I quote again, so when you gather together to eat, you should all eat together. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to ask you to join me with the last word, together. So when you gather together to eat, you should all eat together. That's koinonia. It's communion. It is community. It is unity within diversity. It is the celebration of the body of Christ and the price that he paid for our unity in him. This is Jared's 2016 translation Put a lot more credit in the Apostle Paul's than mine, okay? But I kind of like this one, so I'll give it to you. I would translate this one or paraphrase it this way. So when you gather together after a national election, you should all worship together, eat together, and receive the Lord's Supper. Say it with me. Together. together. Yeah. Communion. Community with God and with others. Our nation has really suffered this year. We've endured a turbulent presidential campaign. And as citizens of this nation, 
We hold vastly different approaches, perspectives, and opinions in the political spectrum. But as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we find that in Christ, we are unified in him, and that today we express that unity by doing it together, receiving communion as God's people, this gift and this historic practice that was purchased for us at the horrific price of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Your candidates may have won or lost, or if you're like me, some of your candidates won and some of them lost. You may have had relative successes or failures when it came to other ballot measures. And so we may feel a variety of emotions. Some of us feel very relieved and grateful today. And some of us feel uh, rather upset and maybe angry today. And others might feel joy and excitement and enthusiasm today. Whatever we bring today, would you let that be a sacrifice that you bring to an altar of worship? 2,000 years ago, Moriah no longer became the worship center as it had for 3,000 years. When Jesus had a conversation with a woman by a well and she wanted to engage a conversation about the right place to worship, is it this mountain or is it that mountain? And Jesus said, there's a time coming. In fact, it's here right now. When you no longer worship at this mountain or that mountain, but where the true worshipers worship, you can say it with me, in spirit and in truth. You are at Mount Moriah today, seen by God. And today we're going to receive his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We're going to discern what that means for us as individuals Some of us today are going to feel led to sacrifice some attitudes that we've had. You've been living across the emotional plane in a variety of emotions that you've chosen to let seep into attitudes. Emotions are God's gift to us. We don't have direct control over them. Attitudes are a choice that you make. And some of us today are going to take attitudes that we've had toward others, and we're going to bring those. It's the price of worship today. You're going to sacrifice something and worship today. You're going to take an attitude forward and you're going to say, here's my 67 CUDA. What's God calling you today to bring to him in worship? Worship used to be at Moriah. It still is. It is the place where you are, where you need for God to see you. And as we receive, we're going to give whatever he's called you to give. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask ushers to come, and they're going to wait for just a moment as one of them comes up here and joins me on the platform. But this is my brief prayer. God, we repent. We confess that we tend to believe our preferences over yours, that our preferences are yours. We confess that we're prone to judge others of our brothers and sisters who are different, and think differently. Today we receive your forgiveness for our judgments and sins. Fill us with your spirit as we remember you and your sacrifice.
Father, in Jesus' name, we worship. Amen. Amen. If one of the ushers would uh, come up here with a tray, and the others can take places at the end of rows, where you'll be passing those in just a moment. And I've invited uh, Dina to come and stand here with me for a moment, because I'd like to demonstrate uh, what I sense would be uh, helpful for us today as we uh, have this experience together. Uh, Sometimes we ask ushers to pass the trays, and we encourage you to take communion. You notice the two verbs, pass and take. And we'll probably use those again in the future. I have nothing wrong with those. But my sense today was that we should serve and receive. Pass and take can be a very American, solo, independent experience. I'm taking communion, me and Jesus. And I felt today that we should, in this powerful, symbolic action that becomes infused as a spiritual engagement with God's Spirit, that our attitude today needed to be one of being served by a brother or sister and receiving communion from and with them. And so in a moment, as the ushers pass the trays, the usher, and then as they come down the aisle, you, you will hold the tray as Dina is for me and she is serving me. And I'm taking one of these crackers, happen to be gluten-free as they always are here. This cracker, the body of Jesus, bruised and broken and shattered so that I could be whole and so that we could be whole. And I take the cup of juice, the representation of the blood of Jesus shed so that my sins would be forgiven to be reconciled with God forever. And Dina, as you serve me communion, I receive it and I discern the body of Christ. It's broken, which means I cannot be divided from you. And his blood was shed. I am reconciled with him and with you. And I receive communion today together with you. Now, as the ushers pass these uh, trays and you then serve each other, you don't get to take as much time as I did. Please consider that a gift you gave me and representative, but don't rush today as you're served and as you receive. Let's use music to worship with song as well as we worship in communion.